good. All right. Um, so last week we, we finished, we've been looking at all these, we, we looked at biblically uh, what scripture, Old Testament, New Testament say about um, our time and going on um, to the new heavens and new earth. And then we started looking at different uh, views that people in the, the church have had through the centuries of what's going on. Um, when we look at last times or eschatology as, as it's called in theology, um, we're, we're looking at really, think of that in terms of timeline and history that God is working out um, rather than predictions in future. Predictions in future, you're gonna get off right away. Um, and so when we're looking at last times, we're looking at God's timeline for things. And um, so we started looking at uh, how different people have uh, looked at the scriptures and, and concluded some different things. What are some different uh, millennial views? We've been talking about how people see the, the millennium. Um, where is the millennium mentioned? Just one place in scripture? Revelation. Yeah, Revelation 20. Good. Um, Revelation 20, it's mentioned twice. Uh, and so that's caused really the, the division between uh, uh, folks as they look at the millennium. What are some of the views? What do we call some of the views? Yes, amillennialism. And what does that mean? The thousand years is um, figurative and I lost my train of thought. Um, When's the millennium for the uh, millennialists? Right now. Right go. Right now. When did the millennium start for the millennialists? When Jesus ascended. With the ascension. Okay. Um, and then we looked at what else besides millennialism? Now you can't cheat, Bob. Millennium <laughs> Falcon. Yeah, the Millennium Falconists. And those are people are Star Wars fans who don't know anything about the Bible. <laughs> Okay, premillennialism, and uh, do we have one of kind of that or two? two and, and, okay, you're good test takers. Um, yeah, uh, we have two kinds, and what? Yeah, what's the first kind? Historical. Yeah, historic, and it should be called historical premillennialism rather than historic, but it gets called historic premillennialism um, there. And and what is that? What is that? When we say premillennial. Okay, so think about that word, pre-millennial. What is pre or before the millennium? Jesus return. Jesus return. And so there are two kinds of pre-millennialists. What's the other kind of pre-millennialist? Dispensational. Dispensational. So that's 90% of the Christian world, at least in the United States, um, is, is dispensational pre-millennialism. And when did that view start? Mid 1800s. Mid 1800s, yeah. Which, red flag, any theology, any theological point that starts up that God skips 1820 years of his church with, you gotta, you gotta question that. I mean, that's when Jehovah's Witnesses started up, that's when Mormons started up, you got Seventh day Adventists, you know, all these people that, you know, that's a very legitimate question for us to ask. So, did God abandon his people for all these years? Um, but dispensational premillennialism is one kind, and, and historic premillennialism, or classic premillennialism, is another kind. And so they believe, as you said, Jesus comes back before, or pre-millennium. Uh, historic or classical premillennialists, what do they believe? When Jesus comes back, and then there's a millennium, what's, that, what's going on in that millennium? What's that about? Jesus is ruling on earth. Yeah. And so are the Christians. Okay, and yeah, and, and uh, under Jesus, Christians uh, ruling the earth. Okay. Um, and then final judgment, new heavens and new earth are after the millennium. And this is um, folks trying to do justice to Revelation 20 that says during the millennium um, that believers will rule and reign with Christ. And so they are taking the position that Christ is on earth 
and Christians are ruling and reigning under Christ as his noblemen, governors, mayors, etc., uh, on the earth with Jesus physically present on the earth for a thousand years, reigning from Jerusalem. Um, and not everyone is a believer in this millennium, uh, but believers are having their way. The laws of the earth, Jesus is king. And so he is uh, ruling over the earth. And so there are people who um, are not regenerate believers. Nonetheless, they're obeying the government like we obey the government. Yeah. I Yeah, uh, they and they would probably. I think most historic pre-mills. There aren't a lot of them. Um, would would say, sure. I mean, don't press me down to the second. But yeah, sure. Once Jesus comes, they would say, and is on earth. There's no real reason. There's nothing they're going. We're going to be waiting for to happen um, in the millennium before it turns over. Okay, so no IHCs, in other words, in, in, the, in the millennium. Okay, dispensational premillennialism, uh, again, premillennial. So what do they view about Jesus in the millennium? He returns before the millennium. He returns before the millennium. And so here's where the big division occurs um, between historic or classical premillennialism, or classic premillennialism, and dispensational premillennialism. In dispensational premillennialism, in contrast to Jesus reigning over the earth with Christians under him and Christ's laws you know, being in effect for, for everybody, um, in dispensational premillennialism, what does that look like while Jesus is here for a thousand years? Christians are raptured to heaven. Okay, so Christian, Christians are, are, are raptured to heaven seven years before the millennium starts okay when jesus comes back and starts the millennium um what's that look like okay jesus is reigning in the millennium who's he reigning over the jews and the, the jews he's reigning over the jews why do dispensational premillennialism push this what biblically are they trying what puzzle are they trying to solve no although the, that that fits in temple. that fits in to it's ancillary the temple rebuilding of the temple oh. no yes they say the old testament of prophets and moses made promises to the jews that weren't fulfilled exactly in those ways so you look in the Old Testament prophets and there are lots of things that aren't fulfilled exactly in those ways. Like with the new David reigning in physical Jerusalem over the Jews and the Jews as a nation being dominant over the world. These are promises that Old Testament prophets make. And our last Old Testament prophet is 430 years before Jesus is born. Okay? Uh, and so the way that the the puzzle they're solving is how is God not a liar? Because he made promises to the Jews to be fulfilled in Jerusalem and in the promised land and in relationship, the Jews in relationship to the world. How is God not a liar? And so they say, well, Jesus is going to come back again, start a millennium, when he's going to reign over the Jews, over Israel, from Jerusalem, as the new son of David, and temple will be rebuilt, and sacrifices will be reinstalled, you know, that'll, that'll happen. Among dispensationalists, you have a split in terms of, are they um, just ceremonial with no theological consequence, or are the Jews giving those sacrifices that are atoning? in a different way, like outside the cross, or the atoning. And so there's a split there in terms of the, the temple sacrifices, but temple sacrifices will be reinstituted as the temple is rebuilt. 
Um, and this is one reason dispensational premillennialists tend to give money to Israel and Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the temple, because this will speed Jesus' coming. Okay, because the temple, you know, in their um, system, the temple needs to be up and running so Jesus can come to Jerusalem and reign beside the temple, just like David did, palace next to the temple in Jerusalem, and sacrifices can be offered and, and that kind of thing. And the Jews will dominate um, uh, the, the world um, beyond what Solomon's domination was where the nations were bringing in their gifts to Solomon and say, saying essentially, please be our friend and don't attack us. If you need anything, give me a call. You know, that's what they do to Solomon. Um, yeah, now Nate noticed you're not hearing this through the computer now, you're hearing it in your left ear. Okay, Nate listens to Sunday school and he can hear his brother ask questions. Okay. <laughs> so when you said you know, a dispensational premillennialists believe they can speed the return of Jesus. How is that possible? That they could somehow impact the time in which Jesus returns when A, Jesus himself does not know, only God the Father knows, and B, it implies that there's something that humans can do to affect the will of God. Okay, so I'm going to defend dispensational premillennialists now because Second Peter 3, he commands us to speed the coming of Jesus. Okay. okay, how can we do that? What's, what's, our, what's our understanding of the prophets? Do the will of God. Okay, there's, there's a, a three-word a three term that we always stumble to say. Intervening historical contingencies. Okay, what, what do we know? Revelation 6, the souls uh, under the altar of Jesus... Uh, how long, O Lord, or how long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, before you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And what's the answer to them? What needs to happen before Jesus returns and judges the inhabitants of the earth? He needs to save all the brothers. Yeah, all, all, all the, you know, their fellow servants and brothers who uh, uh, are, are, are going to be killed, as you have been, um, that number needs to be completed. And so we don't know when that is. So it's not a sign to us, but it is a, a, a clock uh, with God the Father who holds the names of the elect. And so he knows He knows when that last elect person, the last person whose name is written on the, the book of life, is written and sends Jesus. And so in any era to, to you know, get over, and this is, this is just in that um, God's will, man's will thing. We keep both boxes big because scripture keeps both boxes big. It doesn't flatten man's will and say it's all God's will. That's hyper-Calvinism. It doesn't, op it doesn't uh, uh, inflate man's will and flatten God's will. That's Arminianism. Scripture proclaims both. It says to the, the non-believer, believe. Okay? It tells us, obey. And it gives us consequences of obeying or disobeying. That's interhistorical. That's interhistorical. Uh, sorry, intervening historical contingencies um, there. That and, and so um, with dispensational premillennialism, um, they are they're looking at that Second Peter three, speeding is coming, and they're saying since God is faithful to His word, good. We agree with that. Since God is a faithful, faith, since he's faithful to his word, and then here's where we depart. They say he has to fulfill his promises in the exact way, in an unmollified way, and it can't, and Jeremiah 18 can't exist. Okay, what's Jeremiah 18? IHC. IHCs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if I declare blessing upon a nation, and that nation turns from me and does wickedness, I will not bring that blessing upon that nation. Okay, Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. Um, and if I declare curses upon a nation, disaster upon a nation, and that nation repents and turns to me, I will not bring the disaster I have declared. This is God telling his people how to understand his promises. And so apart from that, if we pull that out from scripture, or 
pull out the, the huge number of examples of that in Scripture, like what, what's a big one? A whole prophecy book of the Old Testament that shows us that. Jonah. Jonah. Right? Jonah doesn't say repent or you will be destroyed. He just says in 40 days you will be destroyed. And he is completely surprised when God relents. Because he didn't understand IHCs. Intervening historical contingencies. See, and so, so the king of Nineveh... Um, uh, upbraids or, or, or rebukes northern Israel where Jonah's a prophet as Jonah tells his story of having gone to Nineveh and the king of Nineveh, the most wicked nation, the most brutal nation one of the most brutal nations the world has ever seen um, he calls for repentance toward the God of Israel among his people. They repent and God doesn't bring disaster yet northern Israel won't repent or Jonah is a prophet under Jeroboam II. They won't repent, and God ends up bringing disaster upon them. Jonah is an, uh, The book of Jonah is written not to Ninevites. It's written to northern Israelites, and it's an object lesson for them to not be um, one-upped by the king of Nineveh, by an unbeliever who has sense enough to repent and to avoid the disaster that God has declared through his prophets or prophets. Okay? And so um, dispensational premillennialists are trying to solve this problem, and they don't understand the principle of intervening historical contingencies where promises are conditional. That's true in life, right? It's, I'll see you at eight. That's a promise. But I won't see you at eight if I die of a heart attack before then. And we understand that. And we don't go up to the dead person who's died of a heart attack and say, you broke your promise, <laughs> right? Conditions are always a part of promises. Uh, we, we do have the, um, you know, when God swears by his own name on oath, um, and we see that in the prophets, I swear by my own name, as far as I live, declares the Lord, I will do this. Um, that that's, that it's going, to, it's something that's going to happen. Even then, we'll see some differences in timing. Okay, yeah, Matthew. So maybe this is a bit pedantic, but I guess my question is, I, yeah, I totally understand IHCs and all that. And I can see how an IHC may delay. But I just, I guess I'm having trouble seeing how they would subsequently say, okay, obviously God can delay blessing via curse or just via abstaining. I just don't see how any action could suddenly speed up because if you if you believe that God's not coming, uh, if Jesus isn't coming back until all His people have been selected, how could He conceivably speed up that timeline? Like, okay, so are you going to miss somebody then? Because so all all ages read Second Peter three, and we don't know what generation it is where the last elect person is pulled in. And so that command exists for just like Jesus says, wait and watch and wait. He doesn't say, if you're the last generation, watch and wait for my coming. He tells every generation to watch and wait for his coming and just to be faithful. And so we're to live as if the last elect person is living next door to us and he's not saved yet. And so that's what that command's about. Right, exactly. Right. So from our perspective, we don't know the end of it, right. um, though God does. Um, but Yet, if we live, God is saying to us, and we're learning from Second uh, Peter three, that if we if we live as if um, uh, in our generation Jesus could come, uh, that won't cause unfaithfulness among us. Right, and I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I guess I just fail to see where that. You can would... speed it up by sharing the gospel rather than not sharing the gospel. Right, so share the gospel now with your neighbor instead of 10 years from now. Right, exactly. And that Again, speed is coming. That makes sense to me, but the idea of, for instance, we got to give money to Israel so they build the temple so that God, you know, Jesus can come back. Well, understand, too, in dispensational premillennialism, it's almost, 95% of it is Arminian as well. Okay, so does that solve it for you? Yeah, yeah, Bob. Oh, okay. There we go. Sorry. Okay, so that's dispensational premillennialism. They're trying to solve a problem, and it's a good, it's a good, their intent is good. 
right? They're saying God does not lie. And we say, we agree with you. Um, we just understand Jeremiah 18 and Jonah and the rest of the prophets and Jesus, when he teaches himself to be the fulfillment of those promises and read the, I'm reading, I'm in Acts right now reading in my, my morning readings and the, they're always going to, this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise. And they're doing that with Jews in the synagogue. One after the other, after the other, city after city after city. They're telling these Jews not, well, you can be part of this nation now and have your sins forgiven through Jesus, but Jesus will come and he'll be the real fulfillment to us Jews later. So just hold, when he comes for a millennial reign over us, so just hold tight. No, they absolutely say in, 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 their, in their language as they speak to Jews, they say, this is the fulfillment of our Jewish hope. And if you wait for a physical son of David to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, you have cut yourself off from God's people. And that, that's Paul's emphatic uh, teaching in, in Romans 11. Okay, and so the epistles, as well as the preaching and acts, say, no, 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 no. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies is in Jesus exactly the way he did it. And so all millennials say, God is not a liar to his Old Testament prophecies because he's fulfilled them in Jesus in a greater and better way and that the old testament prophecies were just what's the language the writer of hebrews uses to describe old testament prophecies? shadows, shadows of, the of the reality to come and so or or first peter one is is saying that uh, the old testament prophets looked forward to this fulfillment of full restoration after the exile when we would have our sins taken care of through a temple and temple sacrifices again, think, think being in Babylon. You know, the temple's not up, there aren't sacrifices. And so the Old Testament prophets had predicted the temple will be up again, there'll be sacrifices for you, prophets up and running, the priesthood will be reestablished, Ezekiel will hold 40 through 58 or however many uh, chapters are, in maybe 48 chapters in Ezekiel are all about that. The whole third section of the book is about what's going to be true when we get back from exile. Uh, there'll be a new son of David reigning over us. A new temple rebuilt that'll be greater than Solomon's temple with different dimensions to it. Um, and that all will be, all will be well and that uh, uh, the, the nations will come to the son of David offering their homage. And the New Testament writers and the, the preachers in the book of Acts say, this is happening because people from every tongue and nation, language, uh, and people are coming to Jesus, and his throne is not in Jerusalem below. Language of Hebrews. It's, it's in Jerusalem above. And that's how he's reigning over people from every tongue and language and nation because he's in a, on a heavenly throne and he's reigning over all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. And, and this is why Jesus himself told us to preach the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Jews, Samaria, half Jews, and to the ends of the earth, to Gentiles as well. Okay? And so that's the emphatic, you can't read a book of the Bible, uh, a book of the New Testament, where this case can't be made or isn't intentionally being made that Jesus is fulfilling, Jesus has fulfilled his Old Testament prophecies um, in exactly what he did. He was the high priest and his body was his sacrifice and he made this sacrifice of his own body. He atoned for sins. He completed the meaning of all the different types of Old Testament sacrifices the meaning of the, of the Day of Atonement, and he is one sacrifice for sins for all time. And if you go back to Jerusalem and offer an animal sacrifice, you've cut yourself off from Jesus. You've cut yourself off from God himself. Okay. Um, 
And so all millennialists um, say God fulfills his Old Testament prof prophecies or promises to Old Testament Israel um, in a greater way. But in, in this way, there's still a son of David. There's still a high priest. There's still a sacrifice. There's still a prophet, Jesus, Jesus who teaches us the law of God. Okay? Um, so that's, that's dispensational uh, premillennialism. Jesus comes back and fulfills Old Testament promises to the Jews in exactly those kind of ways. Um, and then um, we looked at last week and the week before preterism. And what's the big emphasis on preterism? What are the, what's their big uh, historical event that they focus on? The temple destruction. Temple destruction when? In AD 70. In AD 70. And so most preterists around today are what we call partial preterists who say, yeah, there's still a final judgment and a new heavens and new earth to come. But all the stuff in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, the Olivet Discourse, was fulfilled in um, AD 70, and Jesus made an appearance then. Um, and that's how we solve the Olivet Discourse stuff about Jesus coming back. Is Jesus answering those two questions. The main question in the Olivet Discourse is, is what? What's the main question? What's the main topic? When will the temple be destroyed? When will the, the temple be destroyed? And then the secondary question is what? Yeah, what will be the sign of your coming? Uh, and so Jesus says, here are a bunch of signs for temple destruction, and it will be in your lifetime. So if you're in Judea, when this is, when you see these signs, get out. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Get out. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and then uh, uh, but signs of Jesus' return? That's what he says, I'll be back. I'll be back, yeah. No signs. It's like the days of Noah. People are married and getting married, and they're surprised by the flood. Um, and, and, and so um, he comes like a thief in the night. And if you knew when the thief were coming, you would have locked your doors better. But you won't, he says. So just watch and wait for my coming could be any time. And this is the clear emphasis of the, the rest of the New Testament. Read First and Second Thessalonians, and you see, you know, they're clearly expecting that Jesus could come back during their day. Um, but also allowing for maybe it'll be after our day. Okay, um, okay. Uh, so that's a preterism. Yeah, Matthew. Well, maybe it is in Thessalonians. But, yeah. but there's also a group of Christians that are concerned that they already missed it, right? Yeah, and that's, uh, that, that is First Thessalonians. Uh, they're concerned that they've missed it. And so Paul tells them in First Thessalonians 4, um, don't be concerned if somebody says the day of the Lord has already come um, and that you missed it. Now, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are written um, A.D. 50, 51, 52, somewhere in there. So that's that was before the temple destruction. Uh, but, but yeah, that was a concern. And Paul says, don't be concerned because no one's going to be left behind. <laughs> um, that uh, first the dead in Christ, when Jesus comes, now get this, for no rapture. When he does come, when he does appear, the dead in Christ will rise first. So it's, re it's physical resurrection. And then we who are still alive at his coming will then rise together with him. Um, and, and so it's not, a, it's not a, a, a mysterious rapture from things, but it's the, it's the uh, resurrection of bodies. Uh, as well. Okay, um, so that's uh, that's preterism, um, and, and we noted with preterism, what historically kind of kills preterism? I mean, when, when, first of all, when did preterism start? Do you remember that from last week? 1500s. Yeah, the 1500s, <clears throat> mid-1500s. It was counter-reformation stuff that came out of the Catholic Church, and it had some carry with with that to undermine the doctrine of the Protestants um, there. But it proposed that um, there had been this coming of Jesus in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. Uh, but um, not only does, um, you know, what's, yeah, Matthew? What destroys it is the book of John, right? With the late authorship. And then also the fact that there's no historical evidence recording a return of Jesus. 
Right. You got it. So we have neither the books of the Bible written after the temple destruction, which are all the books of John, first and second, second and third John, Gospel of John, Revelation, make no mention of an appearing of Jesus at the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Um, and none of the early church um, pastors and who wrote things, as we've discovered their work, which were not readily available at the time preterism was started as a doctrine um, in the mid-1500s, um, none of those uh, talk about how Jesus, how Jesus appeared in AD 70. And so that kind of kills it historically. Okay, now on to amillennialism. Now, we, we've covered this in terms of just looking through the, the, the Bible. And as far as we're satisfied, um, we, we've covered this uh, prior to looking at millennial views. But now we'll look at amillennialism, particularly with its view of the millennium. Um, what is the millennium? Um, so our, our question here, Lily, can you read this question for us? Yeah, so we kind of answered this earlier today. When's the millennium for all millennialists? Now. now, from the ascension to the return. And while post-millennial people used to not agree with this, mostly now they do. So if you meet a post-millennialist today and say, oh, okay, interesting, do you, do you think we're in the millennium now? They would, or, uh, they would say, yeah. Um, it, it used to be classic older uh, post-millennialism um, said uh, that, that the world's going to get better and better and better and better and better, and then when it gets good enough, Jesus will come back and then start the millennial reign over the earth that joy to the world, let earth receive her king. And everybody's happy that Jesus has come back to start his millennial reign because prior to his coming back, the, the world has gotten better and better and better. And so you can see that the post-millennial view of the world getting better, better, and better, and then Jesus comes back to start a millennial reign. You know, what historically killed post-millennialism in the United States? World War I. World War I. Yeah, we thought, wow, you know, we can produce all these great things. We can get on a train and go all the way to the state of Washington and California on a train and, you know, only takes two weeks, you know, and, and, you know, we thought we were pretty cool and got George Eastman, you know, creates the, the you know, the, the instrument, you know, the camera and, and, uh, you know, all this great stuff. And then we find out technology has a bad side too. It creates mustard gas and trench warfare and barbed wire and just the awful stuff that World War One was and so that kind of killed post-millennialism um, uh, because we said maybe the world is ebbing and flowing in terms of things getting better and then things going evil and then getting better and going evil and if you know the history of the United States you can see that as well um, okay uh, but the millennium for all millennialists and all millennial is kind of a, a bad name there but it you could I think current millennial <laughs> right now is the millennialists. Uh, maybe is a better term there. All millennialism technically means no millennium. Um, you could say, well, we mean no future millennium, or the the millennium's not a literal thousand years like Star Trek clock and 365 and change times a thousand. Um, okay. Um, next, Chase. And Jeff? Maybe current would be a better Okay, so I should just let these slides run instead of talking. <laughs> Brenda. Christ returns after the current millennium of ages. Okay. So so right we've got you know we're we believe, you know, that, that the things of the millennium, things we see in, in Revelation twenty and things described throughout Revelation, things described by Jesus in this world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. Um, that describes what was going on in the disciples' day and what's going on in our day, too. And um, so all that needs to happen is for Jesus to return. 
And that's what Paul expected when he wrote, you know, in First Thessalonians. Um, it's what John expected. That's what Second Peter expected. Second Peter, when he deals with the return of Jesus, you know, heavily in, in chapter 3. Um, there were some people, you know, that in Peter's writing audience in Second Peter um, that said, hey, Jesus hasn't come back. Everything's gone on just as it always was. Uh, therefore, there will be no return of Jesus. And they, they were mocking Christians for their belief that Jesus would return because Peter's writing in A.D. 68. And it's been 38 years at least since Jesus was crucified and Jesus hasn't returned. And, and so Peter says, oh, he'll return. And people said the same thing that your contemporaries in A.D. 68, they said the same thing when Noah was building the ark. That's his argument. And just as God came as a surprise to all these naysayers with rain that flooded the earth, this time he'll come with fire and he'll cleanse the earth in that way. He'll purify the earth in that way uh, with fire. And, and so that's what he teaches there in Second Peter 3. Jesus will come back again. We don't know when it is. Um, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And so we tie that into our view as well of, of Revelation 20 and the millennium, thousand years. You know, and it's, it's Peter saying, you know, God's eternal. He's always been around. So it's a thousand years to him. You know, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of a timeline. And, and so... We need to adjust our minds toward that way of looking at human history. Um, okay. Um, all right. So all that needs to happen is for Jesus to come back. And that's why Jesus said, watch and wait. And that's why the, the Christians in the first century were looking forward to Jesus' return, saying it could be our day. And they were wondering in Thessalonica, did I miss it? Um, okay. Um, next, uh, John. Scripture's only mention of a thousand years is in Revelation 20. Yeah. And Elijah. Among other aspects of this period, we would bring up three Revelation 24. All right, so let's go to Revelation. Look at uh, chapter 20. And so, um, as Revelation does, it, it presents all these pictures of, of uh, from the ascension of Jesus. Sometimes even dips back, like Revelation 12, dips back into the history of God's people Israel. But mostly, Revelation goes from ascension to, to return, and then occasionally goes to post-return. Revelation 21 and 22 are post-return, new heavens and new earth. But that's not unmentioned in the rest of the book of Revelation. But it's all these, just like the Old Testament prophets, it's all these various pictures of the same thing are going on over and over, different angles, different things emphasized with different visions about what we'll be about. And so in Revelation 20, after um, giving this picture in Revelation 19 of Jesus' return and, and uh, uh, Satan and um uh, the governments of the world being thrown into the lake of fire, um, we go into a new image. Um, and it's the verse 20, and or then, um, same word. Um, then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, verse 1, having a key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, uh, that ancient servant, uh, serpent who is the devil or Satan, bound him for a thousand years. That's our first mention of a thousand years, Satan's bound. Now, who remembers what way, in what way is Satan bound for this thousand years? And we're about to read it, but in what way is he bound? In every way, is there no evidence of him? Does, does he have no influence? He's bound from deceiving elect. Okay. He's bound from deceiving the nations. And we tie this into when is a key place where Jesus mentions the nations? Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Um, and so prior to this, uh, the nations were largely blinded. 
Uh, and now God is bringing in the nations, making disciples of all the nations, not each and every person. But now wholesale, he's bringing in people into his people from among the nations as much as he is from the seed of Abraham physically. Okay, And so we see that as it goes on here. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him uh, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. So there's this, a thousand, there's this thousand year period in which the nations go in this period where, and we insert this from other stuff we see in scripture, not all of them are deceived. Some of them continue, continue to be. Um, James 1, uh, just a, a second... Corinthians 4, Satan's blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Um, but uh, there's this period of a thousand years that will end. Um, and then he's set free uh, for a short time. Uh, but here's, here's what John sees while he's seeing this. Okay, so this is the ascension. Okay, verses 1 through 3. The ascension, and we saw this in Revelation 12. There's this war in heaven. Michael and the angels fight. Satan loses, and they throw Satan and his demons down into the abyss. Okay? And heaven rejoices, because unlike we see in the book of Job, no longer is Satan among the angels of heaven giving his report and receiving commands from God. Or that we see at the end of 1 Kings, when, when God says, who will go for me and be, be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of the prophets of Ahab, king of northern Israel. And, and God sends these, these spirits to be deceiving uh, spirits in the, in the uh, prophets of Baal um, uh, with Ahab. Uh, but uh, So that, that's what's going on at the ascension. And then John describes what he sees in his own day, what he's, what he's viewing. Um, now that Jesus has been ascended, Satan's been thrown down. Heaven rejoices that Satan's no longer there anymore. Verse 4. And let's read verse 4. Uh, Bill, could you read verse 4 for us? I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay, so there are these people, and who's reigning with Christ for a thousand years? What does John tell us here? What's his description of them? They're martyrs. Yeah, martyrs. They've been beheaded um, for their testimony. Now, just keep your finger here and go to Revelation 6. And we go to the fifth seal in Revelation 6. Uh, verses 9 through 11, and this is what John sees. John's revealing all these things that are going on during our day. Uh, the gospel's going out, the white horse, uh, there's war, there's not peace on earth. Um, uh, that's the second horse, the fiery red horse. Um, death is still happening. Souls are still going to Hades. That's the black, uh, the, or that's the pale horse. Um, there's scarcity and famine on the earth. That's the black horse, the third horse. But also John sees heaven. And what's he see in heaven here? Look at, verse, look at verse 9. Betsy, can you read verse 9? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Okay, so this is synonymous, right, to Revelation 20. It's a description of the same people. Those who had been slain, those who had been beheaded for the testimony, for the word of God and the testimony they had, be, they had maintained. And what's their, what's their question uh, to, to him going on, uh, Mallory, verse 10? They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, so if we, if we peek at Revelation 20, what's the answer in terms of number of years? How long? A thousand years. A thousand years. And so here in John's day, in AD 95, God says, thousand years, Revelation 20. Uh, but there's some content with the thousand. Now, we know that's not literal because John was writing in AD 95, and the year 1095 has passed. 
Okay, and so Jesus has not judged the inhabitants of the earth yet. Uh, a thousand more years have gone on uh, since, well, almost a thousand more years have gone on since that. Um, we're almost at 2095. Um, uh, so, uh, anyway, did I ask a question before that I just interrupted? No, okay. Um, so, um, verse 11, here's the answer. Um, Andrew. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. A little longer. Second Peter 3. Until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Okay. If you like English verb tenses, you love that verse there, verse 11. <laughs> <laughs> it's got flu perfect and future past perfect and all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, simple past. But... Uh, yeah, so so they're what what's going to go on? So wait a little longer. What's the little longer from Revelation twenty? A thousand years. But what needs to happen before the thousand years is up? Back to verse. Back to chapter six. Everyone needs to be gathered up. Everyone everyone needs to be gathered up. But before they are gathered up, what what's going to happen? They're going to be killed. Yeah. The last martyr gets martyred, is what, what, what's said here. And so there's a number that God has of martyrs. Do you see that there in, in verse 10? Or, or yeah, in verse yeah, 10 there. Um, yeah, or the, verse 11. Uh, and your fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, the number, um, who were to be killed as they had been, was completed. So they're already... Martyrs in heaven. Okay, this is a big question for John's audience in AD 95. There were a lot of martyrs, a lot of Christian martyrs in the first century. And the question is, are they okay? And will you be okay if you get martyred? Okay, this is during the reign of Domitian. And he's martyring Christians because they won't give him worship as God. And so the question John is answering is, will you be okay if you refuse to bow the knee to Domitian? And the answer here is, is yes, you're going to join these guys. So maybe this is extrapolating too far, but is this suggesting that the last Christian, you know, the theoretical last Christian, is a martyr? Uh, no, it's suggesting that the last martyr has to happen before okay, Jesus will come a, back. It's just another element to what has to occur before Jesus That's right, yeah. So the last martyr could happen, and then there could be 10 more years where no martyrs happen, but more people get brought in. Wait, wait. Um, yeah, it, it's not that yeah. important, but yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, and, and so so, um, so we see, so that's one encouragement. If you die, the original audience, John, AD 95, he's talking to a group of Christians who are losing their lives because they're denying worship to Domitian as emperor. And part of, and what we see in chapters 2 and 3, part of, in some cities, the trade guilds that they're a part of, like the, Trump, the plumbers union and the electricians union, that kind of thing, the trade guilds that they're a part of, in order to be a part of the guild, you have to give worship to the emperor. And if you're not a part of the trade guild, you can't get hired. So all your business gets evaporated because you're not part of the trade guild and you can't be part of the trade guild unless you give worship to the emperor Domitian and declare him divine and so the question for Christians that John is answering in the whole book of Revelation is is it worth it will you be okay and he answers that question and he says yeah even if you lose your head it's going to be okay because you'll be with Jesus around the throne Right now, I saw them, John said. All the Christians who had been martyred in the first century, they're there with Jesus, and they're giving praise to him. And they asked how much longer, and they, Jesus gave an answer to them. And I give that answer to you in AD 95. It's going to be a while. Don't, don't just... Jesus could come back before you're martyred. But you may not get that rescue. You may be rescued by the word of God and the testimony you maintain. 
That's what Revelation says. That's how we overcome, by the word of God and by the testimony we maintain. So if we maintain the testimony and die because we're maintaining that testimony, Jesus is God and Domitian is not, we overcome. We overcome death. That's the recipe. Okay? And so, but additional benefit, chapter 20, look back in chapter 20. What are those souls who are around the throne, who have been beheaded because they maintained their testimony in the word of God? See that common language there? So all the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God, exact language of Revelation 6, of those John saw around the throne, what do they get to do for a thousand years? Rule and reign with Christ. Um, what does that mean? We don't know. What sense are they ruling and reigning with Jesus? You know, maybe they're just next to him and he's doing everything and they're saying, Yes! <laughs> <laughs> like Miles Finch, right? One of those ideas that just psychs us out of our mind. We say, yes! And, and, but we're there with him. You know, we're, we're there in the, you know, the war council with Dwight D. Eisenhower figuring out D-Day. And then we're watching, and then we're getting reports back from D-Day, you know, June 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th. We're saying, yes, we've landed. Yes, we've taken ground. Yes, we got our munitions on, on the beach and the Germans have fled. Yes, you know, there's a sense we're ruling and reigning even though we weren't Dwight D. Eisenhower and, you know, what's his name, Montgomery from the Brits and that kind of thing, making those decisions. Um, we don't know, but we don't need to. We'll know when we die and are ruling and reigning with Jesus, when our souls are around his throne, and we're ruling and reigning uh, with him. Um, but that's Revelation uh, 24. Um, so here's why we don't take like historic premillennialists that the rule of Jesus is on earth with earthly Christians. Because John sees in heaven these souls. See, John says this. There were thrones, and where's John looking? He's, he's looking in heaven. You know, he's seen an angel, and he sees souls. And there were those seated, uh, and they're given authority to judge. Um, these are all heavenly things. And he describes these souls who are judging with Jesus the same as the souls who said, how long until you judge final judgment and given the answer a thousand years? You know, wait a little longer. <laughs> until the last of those who will be, uh, uh, who will, uh, be killed, uh, as you have been, uh, is that number is completed, okay? Um, and so we say, no, the, the, the rule of Christ, the millennial reign of Jesus is now. It's the dead souls reigning with Christ, um, defeating Satan and bringing into the kingdom of God out of the kingdom of darkness stealing from Satan's kingdom at will whomever Jesus wants to steal. Who's Jesus steal out of the kingdom of darkness? The elect. The elect. And where are their names written? The book of life. Book of life, which he has been handed. And he's, you know, un undoing those seals. So he can read, and when he undoes all those seals, he can read it and final judgment's ready to go. Because he can read our names. That's that's twenty eleven eleven through fifteen, okay, and so um, we're we're with him, uh, we're reigning with him. Um, what's true of those who are with Jesus in heaven? Um, they had not what verse four there. Those who those whose Worship. souls are with Jesus in bliss, what had they not done while they were on earth? Worship the beast. Worship the beast. Okay, now we talked about the sea beast. Who's the sea beast? The government. The government. Okay, now how could people in John's day, AD 95, worship the beast or the government? Worshiping the emperor. Worshiping emperor, Domitian. Declaring him divine to save their physical lives. Um, but these souls who were with Jesus were those who refused to worship the beast. 
the sea beast to whom all, whom all the nations and whom the United States every four years, we bow down and say, if this guy gets elected, everything's going to be great. <laughs> right? We think that's the solution to world peace, getting our guy elected. Um, uh, but, but that's not the Prince of Peace. We don't solve our own problems. The, the problems of the world are solved when the Prince of Peace comes to reign on earth. Um, and, and so for now, it's just Jesus, Matthew 12. He has, what has he done to the strong man in Matthew 12? He's bound the strong man, right? Sealed him up from deceiving the nations. Anyone from all the nations whose name is written on the Lamb's book of life that Jesus bought with his blood, Revelation 5, anyone whose name is there, Jesus is walking through the kingdom of Satan, plundering his house because he's tied him up. He found the strong man. Jesus made that point, Matthew 12. You can't plunder the house until you bind the strong man. So what's he do in, in chapter, in verse 3, Revelation 20? He binds the strong man at the ascension, and now he's plundering his house. He is, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he's rescuing people from the dominion of darkness and bringing them in to his kingdom. They're coming into the kingdom of light, the kingdom that the Father of the Son, that the Father loves. Okay? And so we come in to his kingdom. We rule and reign with him. Um, and so anyone who dies not having uh, uh, given their testimony um, that um, Domitian is God or that the government will solve my problems, um, anyone who looks to God to save them, God to solve their problems, God to give them peace, that's the gospel, anyone who looks to God to give them peace, um, when they die, they come to life. And they begin reigning with Christ for a thousand years there with them. They become one of those souls. See that language there? They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And by the way, just so you know, that came to life, the verb tense, it just says they, they lived. It's simple past. If you know anything about Greek, it's just aorist tense. And so sometimes we translate the aorist tense, simple past, with uh, an emphasis on the beginning of something in the past and so we add the words came to life but if you look in Greek that word came to is not in there it's just they lived um, it's just the third plural of, of zoe which is um, live um, so so they lived and reigned for a thousand years that's that's the that's the millennium that we're in okay um, so there's this reign. And so it's, see how we put all these passages together. Revelation 20, Revelation 6. Who are these people who are ruling and reigning for a thousand years? They're those who have uh, uh, their souls in heaven who have not bowed down to the beast and quote unquote received his mark on their forehead. If you, if you, uh, uh, gave your um, declared Domitian divine, you literally got a license, a little coin uh, that said that you had done this. And it was proof um, that you had bowed the knee to Domitian and that the Roman you know, Roman soldiers couldn't put you in jail and, and kill you because you'd already done this. Um, and so that's that mark. We put together Matthew uh, 12 uh, with this, you know, the, the binding. Uh, in the plundering of house, Colossians 1, 12 and 13, how people are being brought from one kingdom to the other. Jesus going through the kingdom of darkness and bringing people uh, into his own kingdom. Okay, so that's, that's what we're seeing in the thousand years. This is this period of time where souls reign with Christ during this period where those souls are, Revelation 6, waiting a little longer um, until... Uh, the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Okay, yeah, Bill. Yeah, a little longer isn't three and a half years. It's right. some... Yeah, a day is a thousand years, a thousand yeah. years is a day. 
and, and the, uh, it's defined here to the same group that we see in um, Revelation 6. He's, he's been told to wait a little longer. So that same group, we're told that little longer is a thousand years. And then uh, uh, Peter says, you know, to the Lord, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. Yeah. Okay, let's pray.